Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just a reminder to everybody to visit jasonpereira.ca and sign up for my newsletter. On today's podcast, today I show I have Daryl Hatton, CEO of Connection Point. Connection Point is a digital platform that allows users and companies to raise money through crowdsourcing directly on their own branded site. And with that, here's my interview with Daryl. Hello, Daryl. Jason, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks for taking the time today. Looking forward to the chat with you. Yeah, looking forward to this too. So Daryl Hatton, Connection Point, tell us about Connection Point. Connection Point is a social commerce company. We uh, help people raise money for all sorts of causes and projects around the world. We're best known for our fundraiser brand, which is our compassionate charitable giving platform that does both personal crowdfunding and fundraising for professional nonprofits and uh, other organizations. Excellent. So we'll dive into that in a second. Tell me about the history of Connection Point and what led to its foundation. Sure. I'm what some people would call a serial crazy man because I've started multiple companies. And so way back in the 90s, I started one and we ended up taking a public on NASDAQ in December of 1999. We were one of the hottest IPOs of the year in the US. What was it? I'm curious. It was, it was called Optio Software. Okay. So um, I'd invented some of the technology that we used and became a chief technology officer and senior VP of development. So we'd done that for a few years and uh, we finally sold it off, uh, took it private and sold it off to our largest competitor in April of 2008. And I had been commuting back and forth to Atlanta from Vancouver for multiple years and was getting a little brave. tired of that. So yeah, kidding. Uh, how far is that? Basically, it's a whole day's travel. That's one way to look at it. And flying through Toronto on the way down all the time, it's uh, 120,000 air miles a year. And, you know, Air Canada was good friends at that point. They, they knew me well. They knew my birthday. They knew my kids' birthdays. And now they're dead to you, right? Well, I'm <laughs> dead, dead to them. Yeah. You're dead to them, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I fell off the map and I'm a nobody again. So I fly there cattle car a lot. But basically, the point of that was I got my team set up with the new company and started to look for what do I want to do next? And so six months in a day, I, I managed to uh, exit that company and uh, started to, to look at, at that point at what Facebook was doing. And I coached a lacrosse team, a, a boys lacrosse team, my son. And one of the things that came out of that is I was trying to get the boys out to practices by emailing them. No one was showing up. But I created a Facebook group and I posted the practice on the group and everybody came out. And I had the epiphany of, I wonder if I can get them to pay for their fees like this. <laughs> and Fundraiser was born. And basically, we started off as a fee collection and donation processing site for sport teams and small unregistered nonprofits, if you will, non-charitable nonprofits. And uh, the fee registration part of it didn't do so well, but the donation processing stuff took off. <laughs> and away we went. And that was the launch. So that was, um, we actually did a first launch in September of 2009. And then I don't know if you recall around that time, but Facebook and a gaming company called Zynga were mm. battling for control of the newsfeed. And Zynga was constantly having people ask to enroll because you would get points and, and new, new animals and new, new favors for asking friends to enroll. And it was destroying the Facebook platform. So they decided to cut out, cut down a lot of the viral sharing capabilities that Facebook had at the time. And Little Fundraiser, which was relying on all these to help us communicate to the members of my lacrosse team and the community, got killed in the, in the ensuing war between these two giants. We're collateral damage. So mm -hmm. we actually had to relaunch, re, like New Year's Eve, December 2009, I sat down with a big glass of scotch and realized that we're going to have to flush pretty much our whole first year's development effort. 
And, you know, it was bootstrapped. I put some, the little bit of money I had in left from the public company because that had gone through the crash of 2000. And so it wasn't anywhere near what it could have been or should have been. Put all that money into building the first prototype. And then we had to start again from scratch. So we launched again in July of 2010 and have had a really nice upward path ever since then. But certainly was a kick in the teeth. You know, the kind of startups are fun because they're somewhat dangerous, but sometimes that bites you. And yeah, especially when you're piggybacking off another platform, all they got to do is change one rule and you're sure locked or you're, you're basically blocked out as you found out. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the problem that Connection Point solves. And one thing that you've done that I think is rather unique is you are enabling crowdsourcing across multiple verticals pretty much. So speak to me about that and the experience there and why this is kind of not, you know, just one large crowd raising funding mechanism like GoFundMe or Indiegogo or or, uh, Kickstarter. Sure. We started as a personal crowdfunding site. So basically it was around the idea that an individual or a collection of individuals being a sport team or something like that could raise money. And so in that way, it was similar to what GoFundMe is. But along the way, because of our visibility of our campaigns in Facebook, our ability to get the message out through Facebook, and we were one of the launch partners with Facebook for the timeline feature. So one of the 30 companies in the world that were in the closed beta program that allowed us to know how the newsfeed would work before everybody figured it out, how timeline would work. So because of that, we had a lot of nonprofit customers coming to us and saying, hey, can you add the features that we need? to make it work as a professional tool. So we had all this different types of unincorporated causes working with us, like schools and sport teams and and individuals raising money for healthcare and all those different types of things. And then we started to get into a lot of the different types of charities that are working with us. And along the way, we also had people who were saying, hey, I'd like to do my Kickstarter Indiegogo type project. Do you have those capabilities? So we added in a bunch of those capabilities along the way as well. But different from those platforms, we let uh, companies, if they're running their rewards-based crowdfunding campaign with us, to use their own branding on it. And so they run it as their own platform. And uh, there's some use cases, and we'll talk a little bit more about that from the business side as we get further along. But basically, we had all these different types of customers using our platform to the point that we started to call it Fund Anything, Fund Everything. And if you had a community that would support you in some way, you could use this type of technology to rally that support, get some money in, and hopefully make your project successful. As we got further along, we started to see additional use cases for this come out. And that's when we started to do, I think what you're referring to is the idea of branding for different Mm -hmm. and packaging for different types of markets. And so one one version of that is something we call CocoPay. CocoPay stands for Collaborative Community Payments. It's the idea that you could use crowdfunding technology to help a customer buy your product or service. And by rallying support from the crowd, the customer themselves may not be able to afford your product, but their friends and family may help them buy it. And a good example of this is is an A-Linker bike. This is a device that was created by an entrepreneur to help people who have mobility problems. And they can buy this bike and it really improves their quality of, of life. Selma Blair, the actress, just got one in the fall and mm-hmm. raved about it and has just created a, quite a sensation. You know, it's been on a lot of the talk shows and things like that. But BA Linker, the CEO of, of the company, we convinced her to, to put crowdfunding into her website, white labeled, so that she could help her customers start a campaign to buy one of her bikes. And it took off for her. It's created a tremendous amount of interest 
from the community in buying these bikes. And what it's allowed her to do is to get revenue from customers who can't afford her product because the community cares enough about the quality of life of that customer to help them buy it together. So that's an example of the technology, the techniques of crowdfunding, but applied in a different circumstance, and in this case, a very commercial one. And it's helped her get, uh, last count, she'd sold 80 some of the bikes in six months to people who couldn't afford it, and she has hundreds of other people that are interested in, in doing it. So it's, it's really enhanced her business. At the same time, she's getting to do some good in her community you know, and helping change people's lives by getting them a bike they couldn't afford. Well, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, you look at the success of all the big crowdfunding resources that exist. Now go to GoFundMe where you can basically put up any cause. And it makes a lot of sense. You're starting to see, you see a lot of the same things over and over again, right? I need money to pay for, unfortunately, like I didn't get travel insurance, get me back to the country or usually medical causes. And, you know, I think I've seen some medical equipment ones in the past, but you would think that especially if, if a company wants to show like your social, that they actually care about their consumers for which they're doing positive things for, being able to enable crowdfunding on their site as a mechanism for allowing for community raising of the funds to purchase their services or goods is a natural step when you really think about it, right? And it's one that they can, I mean, I'm guessing from what I can see from CocoPay, there's a lot more custom tailoring of the branding and message surrounding that than you would see on, say, a GoFundMe. Is that right? Totally. In fact, if you go to A-Linker site, you will be hard-pressed to know that it's CocoPay. just looks like the A-Linker site is enabled with crowdfunding to be able to run these campaigns. There's a little bit of our branding in there to try and help get some the customers, hopefully over time, build up some familiarity with this mechanism. But as far as we're concerned as a platform, maybe I'm not that smart, but I think it should be all about my customer yeah. and their brand experience and not mine. I'm not trying to push my Indiegogo or Kickstarter brand. I'm trying to say, hey, what's your product? We look at people who are running the projects on Kickstarter, and it's a badge of honor. I'm running my Kickstarter campaign to raise money to build my little new thing, whatever that thing mm -hmm. is. You're yep. going, why are you putting so much brand equity into Kickstarter? Why aren't you putting that into your own product? Run this on your own website. Build your own community around the, this product because you're going to have more than one product. You're not going to be one hit wonder. You need to start building your own community and not just building up the brand of the crowdfunding platform. So, I'm curious, have you looked at any kind of, or can say the publication space? Because I mean, Patreon's made some really good inroads in specifically uh, becoming a, a hub for people who want to sponsor, say, podcasters or bloggers or whatever it might be. Uh, you had any inquiries from people in, we'll call it uh, newer non-conventional media at all? Yeah, for sure. We, we actually have a lot of people doing that. Some of them are small and some of them are large. We have the National Review conservative newspaper site using us for their crowdfunding efforts to raise money to support the publication. As they're heading into election year, this is one way for them to rally their supporters to get more money in, to get the message out about conservatism and that kind of thing. In the same token, we have on the other side of the, the political fence in the US, we have uh, a lot of the groups that are doing independent publishing of news. So uh, RM News and a few others will do a lot of their own Patreon style subscription work. Hey, help support us in this. So, I mean, again, it's the, the tool is very flexible. Patreon was very smart in that they went after the creatives community and uh -huh. created a great environment for that. And then they've done very well with it. We just have people who are trying to do that technique and it works well with us. We're just not got the same brand presence. It's interesting. Patreon's, I mean, this is this is a bit of a segue, but Patreon's received some criticism for quote unquote deplatforming some various causes that they maybe did not align themselves with. Are you concerned about that, about your platform? Like, are you filtering through who gets to use your platform? How are you going to prevent that sort of criticism from happening to you? 
That is a really sticky question. And yeah. the, the, we have that, that issue. So we have people who are crowdfunding for legal defense on our platform. Mm. And if someone has committed a crime, the community around them typically wants to lynch them at that moment. They want it, you know, like they don't want to know whether there's a fair trial. They want this guy dead because yep. they, they believe the accusation. And the idea of, of innocent until proven guilty has been thrown out the window in, in modern society. We have lynch mobs now, digital lynch mobs for sure. So the question comes up is how far can we go with these campaigns on our platform? I fervently believe in free speech and trying to help let somebody have their day in court. Let Trust our legal system that if they get money to go into court, we'll get a fair trial out of this. And that will end up doing justice. But the digital vigilantes won't let that happen. And they will punish other good-natured people on our platform. So for example, when they've had, we've had somebody who was accused of a major crime, the vigilantes have gone and picked all the campaigns on our homepage and made comments on them. You need to stop supporting fundraisers. They support baby killers. Oh, and it's God. like, oh my goodness, this is not, we don't support them. Salted by the we, Twitter mob, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we're trying to support the, you know, the justice system to do its yeah. job. In some cases, we now have a rule that says if you've been accused of a violent crime, we can't run your defense on our platform. That's an example. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, like you said, it's a very sticky question. And it's one, again, many people have wrestled with, many companies have wrestled with. So let's go back to the actual experience of Connection Point. So let's say that I, for example, have a financial planning blog and fintech podcast and i wanted to uh i had how, contemplated how integrating yeah i mean I, I don't know who could that could be and i had contemplated integrating um you're getting on patreon how would i instead utilize connection point you'd probably go into our fundraiser brand and potentially you could use coco pay for this as well and the idea is that you'd run a campaign and your campaign would probably offer some incentives or perks similar to what you might do on Patreon to uh, you know, become a sponsor or a member of your, of your community. So you might get somebody to give you five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month to be a premium member of the podcast. Maybe they get special link. The question is, what can you do for your community to make it so that your supporters who give you additional value because they give you mm -hmm. some money get additional value back? Patreon works out really well if somebody's a photographer or a model or something like that. They'll share their portfolio work with someone and they get exclusive access to content that's not publicly available. It's a little hard when you've got a broadcast channel, you're trying to get a large audience as you are to have kind of exclusive content in that until you perhaps get to be a larger size. But you could use our platform to create the environment where you could do a subscription, even as an independent producer of a podcast you could collect a subscription payment and a membership payment for someone to join your, your crew and, and work with it. So what does the experience of going on Fundraiser look like then? If you went to fundraiser.com, and we should explain to people, Fundraiser is spelled funny. It'll be in the show notes. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R or Z-R, depending if you're American or Canadian. <laughs> and if you go onto the site, getting started is as quick as there's a, a start button. and over the next two or three minutes, you will be logged in, put in your details about how you would get paid, and uh, you can create your campaign. And you'd start with a basic campaign template. And then how long it takes you to finish your campaign page depends on how much you want to put in effort to put into the content on that. But 
it's frequently done in 15 to 20 minutes by the time mm -hmm. someone puts in a photo and some story. And then you're up and running and you can start raising money from that. So if you're a nonprofit, we actually have a, what we call a frictionless sign-up where they can get started and play around with the platform without even having to go through a bunch of the registration details of their organization. They can just see what it's like because nonprofits tend to want to experiment a little bit with how the tool works before they commit to using it. And so they, they have even a lighter weight version of that. So once I've set that up on your site, how does it relate to my site? Is there a plugin? Is there some sort of code I plug in? Is it a page that I copy over like a link? How's it work? Yeah, no, uh, we generate, uh, if you want to embed it in your website, we generate what we call smart widgets. And the mm -hmm. smart widget's a little bit of code you'd plug into your website. And we call it a smart widget because once you've done the code to identify which badge or, or type of, of content you want up on your site, you don't have to manage it on your website anymore. You can manage it through a graphical interface that we have on our site. Mm -hmm. So you can set things like, we have basic widgets that might show your campaign page itself. And that campaign page would open up in a light box over top of your website or redirect to a page if you're on mobile. So it's a very, very good experience for someone coming to your site. They can just get to the campaign page right away not having to navigate away. But if they, some of our nonprofit customers will put in a collection of widgets. They might be running a pet rescue, for example, might run a whole series of campaigns, one per dog in a technique we call micro projects. And they have a campaign per dog and they show the collection of the available dogs to adopt or support on their webpage with just one of these smart widgets, which would then you tell it, put the content in of a grid of campaigns or a, a carousel of campaigns and it'll automatically generate that on the site. So very quick and easy to put it into your website and lots of power. I mean, one of the big concerns a lot of people have is, wow, there's so much I can do that with this. And we just have to guide them through some of the steps of what's possible because it's just amazing what they can accomplish. So let's talk about pricing. I got signed up. What does it uh, look like to work with you guys? Well, we charge you the outrageous price of free to start. There's no monthly annual setup any kind of fees like that. And we actually can let you fundraise for free. You still have to pay your payment processing costs. You can't mm -hmm. get away from what the credit card companies are charging. <laughs> no one's getting away from that anytime soon. Nobody's getting away from that anytime soon. But we have a technique, and I'll tell you more about that in a sec. But we have what we call a free model. And with the free model, we just ask the donor for an optional, and it's optional, tip to, our, to us as a platform to help you run your your crowdfunding campaign. And we get enough people contributing through the optional tips that we can make enough money to run your campaign for you. So literally you can use our system for free and we make a little bit of money by getting people to contribute to support us. Our mission we said is, can we give you the world's best digital fundraising system for free or as close to it as possible? And the close to it as possible is that we also have something we call a pro funding model. And in the pro model, instead of us asking for the uh, tip, typically nonprofit will ask their donors to cover the processing fees for them. And a vast majority of donors will do that if they like the cause. Mm -hmm. So it gets down to the point where it'll cover not only our platform fee, but the payment processing fee. And with their participation of their crowd, they can get their costs of fundraising down to less than 1% total. <laughs> so that's, I mean, your credit card fees are typically two point something percent and 30 cents a transaction, we can get it down to almost free. And with the right community, you can get it down to free, free. So you know, if you're really strong supporters in your community, you can get your fundraising for free. So we're trying to lead the world in just how aggressively can we push this model to help people raise money that they need without having to pay for it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because so many, so much attention is paid to not-for-profits and, you know, the amount of money that actually gets deployed to the causes they're trying to serve, right? And, you know, they almost get punitively punished for having any kind of administrative charges whatsoever. So I think uh, this is a way of kind of turning it back on the donors and saying, well, if you want money to go to your cause, here's a better idea. Help us pay, why don't you pay the credit card company to give us the money so we can have more of what you give us go go straight to them. Yeah, kind of flipping you, it on its head. Exactly. If you wanted to give $100 to get some work done, help the cause because it, nothing's for free in the world. No. There's always a cost somewhere. This especially helps credit card processing. Credit card. <laughs> well, you know, you you know, it, uh, it's it's not easy. But we can make that a whole lot easier. And as a result, I mean, obviously, it's very popular with for not for profit and um, you know individuals raising money for themselves. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, now I'm going to take a harder look at that. So people might not be surprised to see you pop up on my website in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so, happy to help you do that. That'd be a lot of fun. No, it would be. Um, so a couple questions. What's one of the more creative uses of what you guys have, you know, you guys have put out there been? Like what use of your software has kind of surprised you? You never would have thought that someone would have leveraged crowdfunding for that. Got a great example of that. University of California, San Diego has a project called the American Gut Project. And they study the human microbiome. So this is when Rob Knight was uh, the lead researcher there, brilliant guy, speaks at TED conferences and all that on, on your microbiome. And microbiome is all, all the bacteria that are on your skin and in your gut and the whole bit, that, that whole community of billions of microbes that help keep us healthy, funny enough. And he said that your microbiome is more important to your health than your genetics in determining your overall quality mm-hmm. of life. And they've been finding about why people get colitis and all these different things because of uh, deficiencies in the microbiome. You know, you give your your baby an antibiotic when they're six months old because they've got an ear infection. It sets their intestinal tract back about six months in development. It's amazing. But anyway, so what they did is they came to us about six years ago and they said they wanted to crowdfund to help people participate in their study. So American Gut, if you go to fundraiser.com slash American Gut, you'll see what's probably the largest crowdfunded science project in the world. And they've raised, between that and the British Gut and a couple other implementations that they've got, they've raised over $3 million for scientific research by selling poop collection kits. And the results of your test get put into the cert, like, so you get your own results back about what your microbiome looks like. And then they use that data to determine and help expand on the knowledge that they've got. And occasionally they'll give you an update saying, hey, we now know that deficiency of this kind of organism might result in irritable bowel syndrome. It's like the not-for-profit research-based version of 23andMe, essentially, but for poop. For poop. (laughs) For poop. So, you know, you yeah, I can see how that surprised you. That would not have I would not have thought that you're, you know, you would have you would have helped collect poop from millions of people across the world. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of, we've helped save a bunch of babies from leukemia and things like that by helping fund their stuff, but that one's fun. And this year we had a group that did a whole bunch of the projects at Burning Man in the Nevada desert. Huh. So they crowdfunded to build the things that they were going to either take as an art exhibit or the things that were going to burn down. So the temple wow. that they took, they've crowdfunded with us. And if you want to see some examples of some fun projects that we do, we have a little mock-up site that we did called Community. Uh, community spelled with two T's. So C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-T-Y.com. And on there, we've got examples of the different art projects like they did for Burning Man and some of the, the pet rescue that raised, I don't know, it was a quarter million dollars for the hurricane in the, uh, in the Bahamas. Mm. Um, we've got some different examples of different kind of campaigns up there, but it just gives you an idea of the breadth of the different things that people have funded. 
and some of them move us to tears because they're just so so heartfelt and and mm -hmm. they've helped uh recover from a, a tragic accident and some of them are just whimsical and and ridiculously fun we had the group a group that was doing a game around the a science fiction game around the characters the members of the band bts and they ended up getting a whole bunch of money to build this game at personifying these characters i mean just really crazy interesting projects that frequently are unexpected <laughs> fantastic so uh, before we wrap up, three quick questions that I ask everybody to make you think. So the first question is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or in the industry, what would it be? I think if I could be granted one wish, I would love people to stop putting crowdfunding in a tiny little box around it looks like GoFundMe yeah. and start looking at this as this is the way community can collaborate to fund things. It could be government projects. It could be healthcare project. It could be clean up the oceans project. There's all sorts of different things that we could do if we just get out of the little box that it's only useful in these ways. I'd like a lot more companies to understand how they could use crowdfunding for product development or for selling to their customers like A-Linker's doing. That would be a wonderful thing from my point of view. I mean, it's interesting. We have a very westernized view of, of money and society and, and community. And the money aspect is a little bit different. I mean, first off, I mean, you're really a platform for enabling altruism in a lot of ways. And not just altruism. I mean, it doesn't have to be altruistic. You could also basically get or just, just funding the causes or, or the, the things you care about. That could be, like you said, a video game or something to that effect. You really want to, you, you would love to play that game. Great. I'll donate to it. But you look at other parts of the world, specifically Africa and Southeast Asia and the concepts of money and community around that. And everything's community funded, just, you know, without a digital platform. It's like you basically went off and got a job there. That's fine. You could give back a certain amount of money to your community because they help get you through school. And that's going to pay for things that happen, you know, to help support the community. And I think it's interesting. I think if a more digitized Africa would be a good thing for you altogether, because this concept is probably far more common to them as a, well, the concept of community, community sponsorship is far more common to them than it is to us, unfortunately. Well, it is. And one of the things I did a TEDx talk in October, which will hopefully be published here very shortly on philanthropy is entertainment, binge watching for good. Basically, if we want a series of millennial donors to give more, one of the things that, that we are looking at is how do we make philanthropy more of an entertaining experience? Because what we're ending up with is the feelings that we get from giving are very similar to the feelings we get when we consume entertainment like a movie. If you think about a romantic comedy, you're get, you know that the result is the girl's going to get the guy. And it's just what do they have to go through to get there? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, if we're telling the story of a community project, it's a very similar heroes type journey. We've got some people that are trying to solve a problem in an area. We learn about the trials and tribulations they go through along the way. If we keep telling that story repeatedly, millennial donors will keep giving to it as long as they see that they can make a, an impact to move the ball down the field a little bit. But is it entertainment so much as more as it's engagement, right? I mean, like giving to a large faceless cause versus actually seeing the net benefit of the dollars you spend, I can understand that one-to-one -one connection a lot more. Uh, you know, I've spoken to many charities about the struggles they're having these days because reality is, you know, everybody's got a little bit of charity fatigue these days. You know, you get asked by every coworker you have on a monthly basis for, I'm doing this ride or I'm doing this walk or I'm doing this whatever. And, you know, when the charity comes around and basically says, you know, we have this wonderful cause, you know, can you support us? Oh, you know, I give at work or I give here, I give there, right? You're being right. saturated, you know, it's almost death by a thousand cuts, right? Right? 
and a lot of charities that are big names, but just maybe not getting crowded out by some of the bigger names like local children's hospitals or whatever else it is. They're struggling. They're struggling. They're seeing donor amounts go down. And part of it, I think, is because there's a detachment from it, right? The person in front of you basically says that, hey, you know what? I'm going to run my first marathon and I'm raising money for charity. Yeah, I'll support that. There's your entertainment or, or engagement standpoint. But I think you're absolutely right. I think if we can, if we are communicated to better in a more dynamic way as to what we've done in terms of our contributions, their impact on the people we're trying to help or the causes we're trying to help, we're probably far more likely to continue that behavior. Exactly. And we think that what we know is we can almost make it addictive to the point where uh, we've had, so we work this project concept we call micro projects. And we have a lot of our pet rescues who will do this. They'll run one project per animal they're trying to rescue. And they'll get a small group of people who will help make sure that animal gets out of the kill shelter. Mm. And then they tell the story of that animal. Like what happened to it? Why is it there? What's going to go on? And people feel really good because they, they kind of know that they've saved all these different animals. We had one donor who was giving so frequently, we had to check in to make sure we weren't having a home shopping channel problem where this little old lady was sitting at home giving away her life savings. And we checked in on her to make sure that she could actually afford it because she was giving to all these different animals all the time. It was so addictive for her to feel like she was saving this many animals. Well, it's so, what's important to her, right? It's her preference. I mean, it's her preference. Yeah. And so the point is, is that you can make it, if you see the impact, as you said, if you can see the impact, you're more willing to give again especially if you're giving small amounts, five, 10, 20 bucks. I'll give up a cup of coffee and give you five bucks for that. If I can help make sure that this dog gets out of jail today, it's not me doing it, it's us doing it. And I think that the millennial generation is much better at that than we might ever give them credit for. So that's one of the things that we're seeing. And you talk about Africa, we have a group called Thrive for Good. And what they do is they train trainers on how to plant organic gardens in Africa. And then they will go into a village and they'll gift the village the first year of their garden. They send the trainer in to teach 12 families how to run the garden. And it's one of the ways they end up with a sustainable food source that is organic and healthy for them. They also grow medicines like artesmia to help them with malaria. And this program works really well. Donors will give to a garden through the, the trainer. They support the trainer saying, hey, you can go do a new yeah. garden. And as a result, people are getting the stories back about the gardens and the people they're helping. And it's turning into a really interesting ecosystem. So our, our mission is, can we re reimagine philanthropy and change the way we do it so that we can create more sustainable funding for the world's most important problem? Worthy cause. So second question I have for you, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today? Besides the need to recode everything in Facebook, you know, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are just, yeah, that's just a fact of life. Funding. <laughs> Trying to get mm -hmm. investors to understand a business model where we give it away for free and we make money has been really challenging. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I find that semi-true and semi-surprising because, I mean, there's so many freemium models out there or indirect compensation models these days. I mean, we just named Facebook, right? A perfect example. They're giving something away, but they're making money off advertising. You're giving something away, but you're making money off of, off of the fees. On I mean, anyway, so one would hope that they you, you find fewer, you know, more broad-minded funders going forward for this this is worthy cause but that has been the challenge i've gone into investors and they they don't like the fact that our SaaS revenue is not contracted for example they say well you know oh, the customer boy. can give yeah. up on you and it's like they can give up on your SaaS contract don't even yeah uh, you're not going to sue a guy for a 200 dollars a month contract. that's valuation metrics i mean the reality is, is that you know and it's very simple math around SaaS. if you have two-year contracts on SaaS contracts those numbers, that, that leads to the highest level of valuation you can possibly get on a SaaS company, right? So therefore, yeah. if you're a funder, you want to see two-year contracts on your SaaS. Like, meanwhile, it's like, 
we all get annoyed by the, oh, this is only going to cost me $9.95 per month, but you want me to sign a two-year contract to get that price? And if not, it's $25 per month? Give me a break. Like, it is what it is. But that, that's been so, a challenge is we trying to bend the model around to support an investor hasn't worked. So we're focused on helping the customer and yeah. we'll just make it up along the way. Absolutely. So last question for you is what gets you up in the morning and excites you and keeps you going to keep doing what it is you're doing? Well, besides the fact that running a small company can be an absolute blast, it's a little bit like driving a sports car. When public company felt a little bit more like a Mack truck. We could carry a whole bunch of stuff in one direction really fast, but don't try and corner that sucker because it's going to roll over. No. But a startup can feel a lot like driving a sports car. So that part of it is a lot of fun. But I think what really brings me into the office every day is what I would call leveraged impact. By the time we're done, we think that we can help raise a billion dollars for charitable projects and, and business projects all over the world that'll do things like reduce poverty and increase education and improve food security, reduce addiction, save babies from critical illness, help companies launch products save many, many, many puppy dogs. I mean, it's leverage. So the little bit of work that we do helps create this result. We've raised $160 million for over 200,000 projects in 40 countries so far. And I'm pretty sure that by the time we're done, we're going to hit that billion dollars of impact, which is going to, you know, we think about all the places that'll help in the world. That's huge. It's incredible. Well, thank you very much for doing what you're doing. You're helping out countless causes and hopefully countless more going forward. So Daryl, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure everybody will appreciate this. And uh, I encourage anyone who's looking for a crowdsourcing solution to check out Connection Point and the various properties that you built underneath that. Well, I appreciate it. The chance to talk about it with you has been fantastic. Thank you. Right. My pleasure. Take care. See ya. So that was my interview with Daryl Haddon Connection Point. Yes, I may end up adding that section to my website shortly, as soon as I have time to get to it. In the meantime, for those of you who could benefit from his solution, please take the time to check it out. Until next time, I'm Jason Pereira, and as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.